They gave me a diamond ring to sell it. And I said, oh, my else? Are these real diamonds? <laughs> hey, how are you doing? I'm Steve Follin. Thanks for joining me. This time, what it's like being freelance for presenter Gemma Enseniat. Find out if you enjoy it first without trying to make money from it because that's a pressure that you don't need. You should really find out if you enjoy it first. That's it, I think. I left that day with a pass, a staff pass, to get into capital. I went over, my sister's a cockney. Uh, she's lived most of her life in London. She was like, what is that? I don't know, I think you've got a pass into capital. These jobs that you think are a job for life, that can't be the basis of why you pick an area to work in. It can't be, because no one owes you anything. That's kind of the sum of it. You have to do what you love, what you think you're good at, and if you get a salary from it, then that's amazing. Okay, so we've got Gemma. Gemma off the telly. Gemma, who's um, a freelance presenter. Hey, Gemma. Hello. Let's start by talking about how you got into what you're doing, how you ended up going freelance, what it is you do, and that you know that kind of thing, basically. Well, I'm not. I'm not going to lie and say that it was a plan because um, it, there was no plan at all. And if there was a plan, that's like saying I'm going to Jamaica, but I'm going to make loads of stop-offs at airports you've never heard of that don't even have a cafe and you don't get your luggage back in between. That's the way my career has felt. Your question, I think, was how did you get into it? And I think Mm. the way I got into it mentally, which is the most important thing, was by doing loads of part-time jobs. And I mean, from when I was well, I was working from the age of six, actually, because I did a bit of kid modelling. Not that I remember it, but I did. And then, um, you know, I did paper rounds and then I actually worked in the news agent, work, you know, opening the news agents up for people and um, sorting out people's pay. And very quickly, I got to a point where a lot of people never get to. I know you do, Steve. You understand the concept of working funny hours and not minding it. Now, some people really mind, really mind shifts. And I, I kind of really like them because it means when everyone else is working, I can do this sort of thing with you, you know, and have a chat or have a coffee with someone in the middle of the day or, um, you know, go to the shops when there's no one else there or, you know, I don't have to struggle with rush hour traffic, which I can't stand. So although I might be working till three o'clock in the morning and the question normally is, how on earth do you do that? My question in return would be, how on earth do you do a nine to five? Because I can't, I've never done it. Well, I did it briefly when I was a secondary school teacher, but even that, as any teacher will tell you, is not a nine to five. Yeah, it's not. That's not normal either. That's not a normal day. How did you transfer from being a secondary school teacher? What were you teaching, by the way? <laughs> well, anything they'd asked me to. To be honest, at one point they had me teaching Bengali. I went into the class and the boys looked at me and went, "Miss, it's not like you speak it in it. Do you really speak Sileti?" And I was like, "No, no, I don't. You got me there." Um, <laughs> Literally, I covered anything they wanted. So, you, what were you a supply teacher? I was, yeah. So, even then, you were like a freelancer. Exactly. Sort I of was. Like, just sort yeah. of metamorphosizing into these different roles. That's probably why I didn't get depressed because I thought, oh, it's not for life. I don't think there's anything as difficult or as rewarding as teaching. I still don't. But I also think I didn't have the right mentality, as in I'm not a disciplinarian and I worked in really difficult schools and that's another conversation entirely. But when I was doing that, I started to think to myself, well, what if I'm not very good at this or if I'm not perfect for this and I can play at it, but I'm not perfect, what should I be doing? And I remembered something that I helped somebody out on when I was at university. They asked me to do some voiceovers. They put me in um, a studio and just left the mic open. But I didn't realise that in the open plan office, they'd also left it open to like the entire office. And I was sitting there going, you're in an absolute Egypt, Jen. What have you got yourself into? To myself, thinking. <laughs> I was talking to myself. And everyone in the office is listening yeah? to you. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm like, you better come up with goods now because you know what? You're a div. How the hell did you land yourself? And then I just started mucking about because I think the line was something like summertime in the city, it's Galaxy FM, something like that. And I was like, eh, summertime in the city, it's Galaxy FM. No, not Mexican, Spanish, you div. And, you know, like I just went around in circles. And by the end of it, I came out. And you know when everyone turns to look at you and think, I don't know what they've been doing out here because they've got a really quizzical look on their face. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then this guy from, I don't know, one of the departments said, you know, um, we need a couple of VOs um, in the summer. Do, I don't suppose you'd be interested. I was like, yes, paid, yeah. When I was teaching, I thought, well, you know, if somebody else thinks I can do it, then maybe I should just tentatively, you know, put down kind of feelers, which is when I applied to be... Um, uh, a collator for AA Roadwatch, essentially working in their office and just making the phone calls, finding out where the accidents were and putting that into a database and getting all the information together for the people who actually did voice the report. So I thought, I'm just going to, I'm not going to say that I want to do that because I'm going to fall flat on my face. So I'm going to say, what, with that voice, you're joking, and I'll get chucked out. So I'm just going to go into the office and see what happens. And, um, yeah, I started voice training there. Well, not voice training, but training on how to do a, a a broadcast, if you like, a travel broadcast and speak to time and all those kind of essential elements. And at the same time, I started volunteering, hospital radio. And from doing that, I suppose I gained confidence, but through a back door. And I think that's the best way to do anything in life is finding out that you enjoy it before you kind of make headway or try to make headway in a professional way. And I think that's the, honestly the best thing I could say to anyone is find out if you enjoy it first without trying to make money from it because that's a pressure that you don't need. You should really find out if you enjoy it first. That's it, I think. So how long ago was that? Like So it's, it's between 10 and 15 years ago. And even then I thought it was fluky. You know, I remember a guy going into the kitchen at A Roadwatch and he said, oh, I see that you're, he's quite posh, as you'll be able to tell. I see that your name is in the kitchen for, uh, for voice, uh, you know, training. Um, you do realise if you go down this route, you may only be able to get work up north because down here, PCs, or as you know, programme controls, don't really like regional. So <sighs> you should prepare yourself for that eventuality. Are you all right about moving back up north? Wow! Yeah, you know, and don't get me wrong, he's not the only person to say that sort of thing to me. And I think that comes with this work as well. People expect you to be kind of thick skinned, you know. Very recently, very recently, I lost a job that was my job for what, three years? Um, Because the new person who's in charge of that channel, I won't name any names, I was about to do that word, um, said, uh, I'm not being funny, but I don't want my channel to sound like cheap Saturday night TV. And this girl sounds like Tess Daly. I want her off. And that was it. <laughs> From one week to the next. In fairness to them, Tess Daly's <laughs> TV show isn't very popular, is it? <laughs> so you went from doing travel reports to, to doing TV. Yeah, that was a bit of a jump. Somebody like you, Steve, I was doing the travel and he said, um, come and meet me. I'm doing this little thing. It's just um, a little show that's just started called Holiday FM. And it was one of Capital's new ventures, you know. And while we we're in the building, this is Capital, obviously in Leicester Square, he introduced me to this fella, Will. He said, this guy is in charge of um, a kid's radio station. I was like, what? I didn't know there's a kid's radio station. I mean, I am the... If you can think of someone who's ambitious, I'm like the opposite because I should have known people's names. I should have known who I was going to be. You know, I had no idea. 
Um, but I was genuinely interested because obviously I've got a background in education. I said, are there any educational elements in this? What's it called? He said, Capital Disney. So I was like, right, are there any educational bits? He says, why don't you come in and record a few bits? And I left that day with a pass, a staff pass, like a pass to get into Capital. I went home, my sister, who's a Cockney, uh, she's lived most of her life in London. She was like, what is that? I said, I don't know, I seem to have got a pass into Capital. She was like, oh, hold on. What? What on earth are you talking about? And I was like, <laughs> when I think about it now, I mean, it isn't, it isn't insane, but I've had a career that has felt like that all the way along. So your question about how to get into TV, from Capital Disney, I got a Saturday show and then I got a money-making show which was on a Monday afternoon. And then I just kind of, I just pieced together. And then in the end, I was on The Breakfast Show. And we had Lara Lewington in, who at the time was um, presenting weather for Channel 5. And at the end of the interview, she said to me, have you ever thought of doing TV? I said, no. <laughs> Hello, have you been looking at me face? She said, what do you mean? I said, I've got such a panto face. And I have, like, I've always done far too much with my face. I can't, you know, I'm like a cartoon. You know what I mean? It's just overly expressive. And, um, and I know that of myself. I, I have. I've got a, you know, it's really dramatic face. And she said, if you never thought you could do, you know, if you don't like your own face, you don't have to watch it. And with that one sentence, you know, you could just do live TV. It opened up this, up to that point, locked career to me. I just thought, hold on. She's right. I never have to look at myself. I could just do live TV and when it's gone, it's gone. I'll never see myself. And that very afternoon, I recorded myself on a camera, just selling my MP3 player to, you know, to camera. It wasn't edited or anything. I sent it out to QVC and to um, Bid Up and to Ideal World, which are the three main shopping TV um, channels. And two of them invited me for an audition that month. Now, that is weird and it doesn't happen often. <laughs> and when I think about the fact the woman at Ideal World, I sat in the waiting room and I thought, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. She said, Oh, I remember you. You're that quaint girl that had no editing in your um, showreel. Ah, oh, yes. And I think I was like the outside chance horse in that waiting room. I think somebody said, Oh, do you know what? She looks funny. Just get her in for a laugh. It's going to be a long day. <laughs> we see a lot of people. Just get that one. A lot of people on the X Factor who. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I'm the outtakes, you know, and I think I surprised everyone. I mean, I sat in that chair and they gave me a diamond ring to sell. It was ideal world. And I said, oh, my shit in hell, excuse me, language. Are these real diamonds? <laughs> I had an earpiece in and there's loads of people laughing. And I said, are these real people in my ear? Honestly, I was like, oh. And they were laughing. <laughs> Bridget Jones. <laughs> but, you know, up to now, it's been that kind of stumble, stumble. Oh, look, there's a job going here. Should I go for it? Oh, I'll never get it. But that that um, non-fear, because fear is associated with wanting something to go well, mm. I think has kind of um, reassunted me into jobs I would never have actively gone for. Yeah. I mean, I can see that the... That not wanting it so much that you then become so nervous or whatever is a benefit. Yeah, but you yeah. have definitely put yourself in those positions. It, oh, yeah. It's not just luck. You have, oh, I have engineered them. I have. And yes, and now I go for auditions knowing what they are. You know, I don't want it to sound like every job I've got. I've been like, where am I? What day is it? <laughs> Who am I again? Um, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not like that. But I think because I carry a disbelief that I'm in this decision in the first place, 
and a gratitude, not to sound like overly spiritual, but I am really thankful. I'm not, you know, I'm not just um, paying lip service when I say, I know what hard work is. I have done it and I, I continue to do it, but it feels different because you know as well as I do, when you're doing something you enjoy, it doesn't feel like hard work. Mm. So the hours might be funny and, you know, or antisocial or you might not get paid for things you've done. And that's very irritating. It happens, I think, more as a freelancer than it does, obviously, if you're a salary in a salary position. Yes, it does. But the benefits of um, all the benefits that I feel I get and money is not the benefit, I have to say, the benefits lifestyle. You know, I, I just feel grateful. I feel thankful. I'm sorry. Can you hear my dog choking on a chew? God. <laughs> It's not me, by the way. Is it about coughing on a, hacking up a piece of hide chew? Um, so, you, so you've done sort of like casino type TV, mm. uh, but you do don't. Do you still do like the Sky One type voices? I do. Yeah. So my first shopping TV job was Ideal World. That was my first kind of salaried Envision TV job, and that was great training. And then when that came to an end, I just started applying for things. And somebody else that had known me from Capital said that he'd been brought on board to get voices for Channel 5. They were starting a new channel, and I went in not expecting anything, and they just so happened to want a northerner, um, you know, who didn't drop their H's because, as you know, voice work. They want regional, but not too regional, <laughs> um, you know. And I got it. You see, all of those things then you have been applying for, uh, albeit by accident in some ways. You've you've um, uh, you've engineered them uh, by applying for jobs and making connections yeah. and stuff like that. Which is why I then think it's interesting because you've. I should explain, you're kind of like doing craft presenting, craft blogging, that yes. sort of thing, yeah. which feels to me like you're saying, actually, this is something I'm passionate about. I'd like to be a presenter for this because Kirsty Allsop can't have it all. So that's it. That's interesting to me because it's like instead of just relying on your portfolio mm. and people were thinking, well, mm. she, you know, she'd never do craft TV or whatever it might be. Mm. You've gone, actually, I'm going to create this off my own back mm. and put it in front of people and see if that leads anywhere. There's not that many people doing craft craft in an entertaining yeah. way or whatever yeah i well a few things happened and um they kind of aligned firstly a few years ago one of my um best friends is a producer for endemol and he was very i'm not going to name names but anyways very good friends with somebody else who i met at one of his parties and she is a um <laughs> this kind of whittled us down but i'm going to tell you anyway she is a home expert right? She goes around people's houses and tells you what's great about them. And she had this long running series. She's very well known for it. In fact, she's still doing it. And she said to me, this is going back a while. She said, what do you want to present? I said, no, no. Well, you know, you, you need a specialism. Everyone needs a specialism. I said, I don't have one. She said, I'll tell you what, why don't you go into estate agent kind of, you know, that home, it's very big at the moment. Why don't you just do that? I said, because I'm, not passionate about it don't know anything about it you could learn I said yes I could the same way I learned about a diamond ring you know the four C's and how to talk about clarity and yes I could learn it but I'm not innately passionate about it so it doesn't matter does it you could make money from this book your ideas up you need you need a career plan and I came away from that party thinking I don't want to just pick something out of thin air and make myself an expert in it for the sake of a tv career because that to me sounds arse about face you know, I happen to be doing something I enjoy at the moment, which is, I don't know, freelance work. Actually, that's the basis of what I enjoy is being a freelancer. 
And it took me a long time. And she's not the only person that said it. Loads of people said, you've got to be a specialist. I've been to see agents. They're like, I'm sorry, you've got to be an expert. It's all about experts now. You don't want to know unless you are. I mean, I kept drawing a blank thinking, oh, I'm just scratching around here. And then you've hit the nail on the head. I was watching Kirsty Allsop. She was doing a Christmas no special. Right. <laughs> way. Sorry, Kirsty. I know. Well, sorry and thank you. Because, I, you know, again, I'm not aspiring to be her. I never did. I'd fall flat on my face straight away. But I watched that show and I thought, wait a minute. Wait one goddamn minute. I remember pausing it, turning to my mum and I said, did she just say, if you're looking to save money and working on a budget? Mum said, I think she did. I said, what the pig does she know about working on a... Get off. When was the last time she roughed it? I mean, I'm not being funny. She's lovely and everything. But what? Is that giving the show for a week off? That's her idea of slumming it. Now, if there's something I know something about, it's... It's making clothes last. It's um, making food last even. Um, it's um, refashioning stuff to make it look like something else because I've worn it 15 times before. It's getting by. It's recycling. It's refashioning. It's upcycling. I love those things. I'm interested in it. That is what I'm interested in. I thought, I've got a key here. All of a sudden, I've got a key to my own personal specialism. And what's brilliant about that is that because I spend a lot of time blogging, and not only writing, but making the things to write about. Making something can take me hours. I mean, hours. I also have to think of what it's going to be in the first place. Now, I'm not saying feel sorry for me. I'm saying that if I didn't enjoy this, then it would be very hard. And so I feel like finally I found my specialism. You know, I found it, finally found because that's what it means. It means doing something where you're in the moment you're not thinking about how much time you're spending in it. To hours just pass really quickly because you're enjoying it, and hopefully that comes across. You know, I don't, I, I don't know. How, sorry if you can hear my dog licking my face. Um, I do <laughs> keeping it real, keeping it real. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel that if you're going to look for a specialism, it has to really, really be something that you genuinely love. And I finally feel like I found that, and it's taken me a long time. You shouldn't think, how many people are going to read this? You should think, would I be interested in reading it? And you know what? I feel all right with that. I still don't think of myself as a writer. And yet, I was contacted by a sewing magazine um, only, what, three weeks ago, who've asked me to rewrite something I've already written for the February issue. And that, I mean, I cannot tell you, I can't remember the last time I felt that excited about a job prospect. It's not even doing something new. It's just rewriting something I've already written, but getting paid for it. I was like... What? <laughs> what is this thing that I have found? Um, I always thought, I thought it was a joke as well. You know, when you get an email and you're like, no. Oh, oh. sorry, that was dog. <laughs> that yeah, was the dog. That was the dog. Is he um, now trapped underneath a desk? <laughs> you, you mentioned money earlier. You know, a lot of people make the mistake of thinking, oh, she's on ITV, she's loaded. What they don't think is... And I, you know, this is not a disservice to my employers because I enjoy what I do, but I have to have a portfolio career because I can't afford my outgoings if I don't do the work. You know, I have to, firstly, because it's not secure. You never know how, how long these contracts are going to last for, but it's still a shift rate. Now, when I first started that job eight years ago, nine years ago, um, I was getting 18 shifts a month. I now, well, this month I've got five. Now I've got a shift rate. I, you know, that's an obvious loss. You know, the voice work, and I always joke about this, but it's true. I get always get paid more for my voice than I do for my face. What does that say about my face? 
the voice work again these contracts come and go I mean I've had great work where I've done two a week it's been steady and I'm like brilliant this is my bread and butter now this is my salary it doesn't last and I've really not I've not I've got no savings I haven't been very well planned with finances I'll give you that but I haven't been frivolous a key thing there for, for anyone really is not relying on one client it can be yeah. quite easy for any freelancer to rely on one or two clients to bring them all their their their, their money and uh, i mean at least in presenting you kind of have that feeling that at any point you might get dropped a bit like you do as an actor yeah. i think if you're a i don't know a web designer or a video producer or, or you know whatever else it, it might be in those creative fields it's it's quite easy to think oh okay well that that legal company is paying me you know three thousand pounds a month to produce those infographics or whatever for them every month hurrah and and then you don't go chasing the other work or putting yourself out there and then suddenly they disappear and there's a lot to be said for only having a certain amount from certain clients you know yeah but then i think you know i worked for a shoe shop when i was old was i 15 or 16 and I worked crazy hours over Christmas, crazy hours. I went in my, for my first shift in January and the place had closed down. There were shutters, no sign of the company. And I never got paid for all of those shifts that I did over Christmas. The point is that even when you have a full-time job, you have no guarantees. You can be a teacher and look at all the cutbacks they're making in the NHS. You know, these jobs that you think are, it's a job for life, that can't be the basis of why you pick an area to work in. It can't be because no one owes you anything. That's kind of the sum of it. You have to do what you love, what you think you're good at. And if you get a salary from it, then that's amazing. But even that is never set in stone. How can it be? Let's say the difference is having a salary or being a freelancer. Let's say I have those two choices ahead of me. Well, having a salary, when does that stop? 65? 70 if they change the age? 75? As a freelancer, I don't have to stop. Sometimes I worry that I don't have a pension plan. I worry I've got no savings. I worry that I have got nothing to kind of fall back on if this all, all falls through. And I think, well, no one else carries those worries with them. Or if they do, they're unfounded because that could happen to anyone at any time. You have to just be here now. You know, I think, unless that's me being <laughs> sticking my head in the sand really badly and just convincing myself I'm on the right track, you know. I don't have a pension either and it's nuts and I sit there and I think man I really need to sort that out I need to do but at the same time right now I've got other things to pay yeah. <laughs> and um and at some point I really need to get to that and yeah. you've you've got to I know you've got to take care of other things I don't know some somebody else listening you don't have a pension but I know I know but have you thought about how much that pension actually equates to in the end it's you know I think about different mentalities across the world culturally. You know, we've got a very, when it comes to things like savings and everything, we've got a very UK, not even European, UK attitude when it comes to being afraid of not having a pension. You know, if you go to Spain, for example, it's not the norm to own a house in Spain. It's the norm to maybe, and I'm making a sweeping generalisation here because things are changing, but still, to live with your parents till you get married and then to go and find a flat, an apartment, with the person you're marrying that you also rent but you know there's no kind of sense of loss because you don't own your house you know i you don't have to travel that far away to see to find things that make these aspirations seem a little bit pointless and i comfort myself with that you know i i do i comfort myself thinking well i could sell a house and just rent 
for the rest of my living days if it came to it. I don't, you know. I think that then goes back to something you said earlier, though, is that you get to define what you feel success is. Mm, that's it. That's so long as you don't give a monkey's what other people that's right. think, be it, you know, you could have all the money in the world, but if you don't get to go and walk your dog in the park every that's day right. and have that part of your life, then what's the point? That's right. Can you tell me three facts about yourself or your career? Make two true, one a lie. Let me figure out the lie. Okay. How about I do it like this? I'll give you three auditions that were a close call. Two of these are real. And one you've made up. And I was very close to getting. In fact, I got them, but I just didn't do them in the end. Okay. One audition was to be an enthusiastic Teletubby on a UK-wide roadshow. (laughs) (laughs) One of them was to be the audience warm-up act for Catchphrase. Oh, man. Yeah. And one of them was to be a Shania Twain impersonator for a summer season in Tenerife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Now, actually, this is something we haven't touched upon, but you did for a little while, and maybe you still do, do stand-up, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah. So so, So I'm just thinking that, the you know, the catchphrase thing... When are we saying that would have been, though? Is that Stephen Mulhern catchphrase? Is that the fellow who fell down the stairs and broke his leg at the beginning of one series and had a broken leg for the whole year? You know too much about that show. All the Mark Curry era. I know, weird. What's that all about? Everyone always forgets. (laughs) Could you have been a Teletubby? Because having now spoken to you on this interview, I'm not sure you could actually keep your mouth shut inside. (laughs) I mean that with all the love in my heart. Yeah, yeah. Inside a mascot head. I'm saying that one's a lie because you wouldn't have been able to keep your mouth shut. What, Teletubbies? Yeah. Right, the lie is I never went to an audition to be the audience warm-up act for Catchphrase. <sighs> now, I threw that one in there because I was actually on Catchphrase. But yes, I'm regularly on Challenge TV. People <laughs> often tweet me and say, do you know that you're on Challenge in a blue jumper? Yes, sorry, Sam. <laughs> sorry about that. Well, um, which era, when were you on it? The fellow that broke his leg at the first show, <laughs> as you so quickly put it, that he was my host. And I won £6,500. No way! The reason, the whole reason why I applied in the first place was because I was doing my master's. I'd run out of money. I was waitressing. I didn't know how the hell I was going to finish that course. And I thought, I've got to, I've got to do a game show, as you do when you're feeling a bit insane. <laughs> I'm going to have to win some money and do a game show because I don't know how I'm going to be able to stay on this. And I, and I did. When he handed me the cheque, I was like... I can finish my masters. <laughs> and he was like, okay, we're going to have to film this again because you need to look happy when I give you this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, is there any books, blogs, or podcasts that inspire you? If you're talking about books, Stephen King's On Writing, it's called On Writing. And I, I'm, I'm terrified of anything that, you know, goes bump in the night. So I wouldn't, I'm not sure I'd read any of his other books. But that particular book is about his struggle um, from being a writer, not being published, um, the journey that they went through as a couple, him and his wife. Pretty sure he wrote it when he was, um, he was in a car accident and he, he didn't know if he was going to survive or not. And he wrote it so that people knew what he'd been through. And it honestly... I didn't have any intentions of being a writer or writing a blog when I read that. I just feel that the message in it is very strong about perseverance, about talent, about recognition of that talent, about how you make your money and um, how to have an intelligence and integrity about the way you get work. Yeah, that's the book I would recommend. And if you could, I guess, say something to your younger self about being freelance and starting out, 
What would that don't be? Don't worry about the pension. <laughs> you know, don't make decisions um, on a financial basis. But then it's difficult because, you know, if you're 16 and you're like, my older self just said, don't make decisions about hourly rates. Now what does that mean? Um, and I don't want to be like Marty McFly where... <laughs> I make a mistake and I say something that then means my parents don't marry. I don't know. I'm nervous about that question. Okay. Steve. It makes I, me nervous. I think you've you've you've, you've overanalyzed the question, but thank, I have. thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. And thank you. I hope everything goes so swimmingly that we don't have to see you on another game show for a while. Listen, if I am, I am enjoying myself, and that's fine. Too. Where um, can people find more about you online? By the way, I think probably what I would push to most if I was going to say anything is sequenceandslippers.com because that is my voice. It's what I'm enjoying. It's what I love. There's video content in there as well. If you, do, you can't be able to read anything. Um, and I also like people to contribute. Wicked. So nice to chat to you. You too, Steve. Show notes are at beingfreelance.com. Uh, you can also subscribe via iTunes and Stitcher. And please give us a review as well. If you have enjoyed this and if you haven't, blame Gemma. Um, thank you. Actually, there's some weight in that. It's true. Don't get yeah, it. It is all my fault if this is rubbish because the questions are great. It's just the answers are a bit questionable. Anyway, thank you. Thanks for asking me, Steve. I appreciate it. No worries. Go and lift that desk off the dog, will you? I'm a bit worried about it. It's been quiet for a while now. <laughs> <Just> smiling, yeah. <laughs>